Welcome to My Writing Table, a podcast where you'll hear from your favorite authors, creatives, and publishing professionals. We'll talk about books, the writing craft, and the often wonky journey to publication. Today's guest is Nicholas DiDemizio. Nicholas D. Demizio holds a bachelor's degree from Western Connecticut State University and a master's degree from NYU. Prior to his career in fiction, he wrote for the internet for several years while he was also working in corporate roles at Condé Nast, MTV, and more. He lives in upstate New York with his partner Greg and their adorably grumpy bulldog Tank. Burn It All Down is his debut novel. Welcome, Nicholas. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I'm not sure which caught my eye first, the cover of your debut or the description. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book? Absolutely. Um, So it is a buddy comedy revenge caper uh, starring a mother-son duo who both have kind of toxic uh, relationship patterns with, um, you know, their boyfriends and, and they get kind of fed up at at a certain point in the beginning of the book so they uh set out for revenge and uh it kind of inadvertently escalates into a crime spree which is always fun (laughs) um and then yeah everything kind of unravels from there and and it's their journey and um in trying to cover their tracks and also grow emotionally it's very like Gilmore Girls meets Thelma and Louise is the pitch <laughs> because there's... I love that. But tell me where you got the inspiration to write about toxic relationship patterns. Sure. Um, so yeah, it started as a, from kind of an autobiographical place where, um, you know, when I was growing up uh, with a single mom who I was really close to, she was always like in and out of really toxic relationships with like horrible men. Um, and so I would like quietly judge her and be like, why is she like not seeing that these are horrible men? Um, but then I became a teenager and I started dating men myself and I realized, and then it like clicked for me and I was like, oh, it's because she's like, you just rationalize all of the red flags. And, um, and so I, I fell into the same patterns as she did. And I (laughs) realized that it's just kind of a part of. Uh, for some people, it's just kind of a part of growing up. And um, and so that was kind of the kernel where I thought back to some of these exes that we had both had. Um, and, and we were really close. So we went through a lot of that together. So, um, so yeah. And, you know, obviously we've never gone on a crime spree. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so that was kind of where the fiction set in and, and kind of like, how can I make these characters learn to overcome that addiction to toxic men? uh in a fun way um so so yeah but i mean the book itself is totally made up it's not autobiographical beyond that that initial kernel well it is it sounds it just sounds so fun and you know that we tend to in some ways the media kind of glamorizes the bad boys Mm -hmm. but when you're in a relationship with the bad boy it's not so glamorous exactly what it is it's like it's easy to become attracted to them at first, but but then emotionally it's just a mess because uh, you're always going to want something that they're just incapable of giving. Before writing Burn It All Down, you were involved in magazine and media roles. How did these lead you toward writing novels? Um, that is a great question. So 
it was actually kind of the other way around in a way. Um, I was working, my first day job was kind of in um, music licensing for a, a TV network. And um, I was over that very quickly. So I started writing like on the side and blogging and stuff. And my immediate goal was like, I wanted to, to write a book, um, but like a memoir. So like more of like a David Sedaris type of thing was what I was really into at the time. Um, so I did that, tried for like several years to get an agent and like none of them were, I, a, lot, a lot of them liked the writing, but the big issue they had was that like, I didn't have a big enough platform to sell, you know, nonfiction especially. So that's when I kind of pivoted into, um, I took a job as a staff writer uh, for, for Mike.com, which was a kind of like a startup news site at the time. And um, so, yeah, it was kind of the other way around where I, I, I got into media as, as a way to try and build a platform. Um, but then when I was there, I hated that. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when I started writing fiction and, um, and that's when I really found my groove. But you, you've kind of talked a little bit about your publishing journey about, you know, when you were trying to do the, the memoir, tell me about your publishing journey with this book. How did it go from this kernel to right. where you're pitching it? Um, so I was in the midst of a, um, of the, the book I wrote before this, uh, which had gotten me my agent. Um, she had tried for about a year to sell that one. Um, and we had a lot of close calls and it went to acquisitions at a couple of publishing houses, but it never, uh, had sold. Um, so I was kind of at my wits end with like the whole, at that point it had been like I don't know, eight years since I had <laughs> embarked initially on trying to, you know, sell any book. Um, so I, I, I had this idea always in the back of my head to, um, you know, to do the mother son story. Um, and, and so when that book didn't sell, I kind of told myself I would, I would draft this new one and just do it as quickly as I could. And, but like still, you know, as best as I could, but uh, I was, I was like, I don't want to waste any more time. So yeah, I didn't want to waste any more time working on projects because the thing with writing is like you're not really getting paid. <laughs> you're kind of just putting in all the labor up front and then hoping that a publisher will buy it. So um, I drafted it quickly uh, and and sent it to my agent. And um, this was in the from like January to April 2019. Um, and then she took it out on submission. Um, <clears throat> there was a little confusion on what genre it was supposed to be. Um, because the, it's like, you know, there's an 18 year old son who's narrating and then a, a 34 year old woman who's the other main character. So she actually submitted to both young adult and adult publishers. Um, and all of the YA publishers said that it was too too much <laughs> for you know for that audience, and um, we had some interest from adult publishers, but some of them felt like it was too young. Uh, so we ultimately landed with Little Brown, which was like my dream publisher, and and they decided to put it out as adult with the hope that it will kind of appeal to all 
you know, crossover in, in a way. So what did your mother think of the book? Oh, that is a great question. Um, she loves it. Uh, but it definitely, it took her a, a couple weeks to get through it. Um, just because from what she was telling me that there were certain scenes that reminded her of real life. Um, and I, so I had to like come in and be like, you know, I mean, some things were inspired by real life, but um, ultimately she was able to detach and look at it as the, um, you know, just the standalone story that it is of, of these characters. And um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's very, it portrays the, the mom character as, as being a, um, you know, the, his best friend. And, and it's a, a very like positive uh, portrait overall. Um, it digs into, you know, some real, real world stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, the book is dedicated to her and um, it obviously wouldn't exist without her. So it was, uh, yeah, it was exciting when, when she read it. So yeah, that was that was a relief when when it got her seal of approval. I was like, all right. So, but really, it's it's funny because like I was saying, how you know, and I'm sure you can relate. Is like you start with the colonel, and then the characters become their own thing. Um, so there's a there's a grandmother character in the book, uh, Nona, and um, it's funny because I would say like she's more of my mom now. Um, so it was funny to see her like, you know, make those little connections. I was like, you're not even really that person, like the main character, like that's such a creation at this point. Um, but the Nona is like the one who gets all of her, you know, <laughs> interesting line. Your characters hold a particular affection for Monica Lewinsky. What inspired you to give them that distinction? Yeah, so there are uh, two parts to that really. Um, so I was, I guess, 10 years old around when that whole scandal was happening, um, you know, in the late 90s. And um, it was, you know, after and after my parents had gotten divorced and uh, it was. And so I remember it happening so much. But I remember like Monica being very much kind of villainized and slut shamed and body shamed and just like the whole thing. Um was but I like I wasn't recognizing it as that I just kind of saw it happen um and then right before I I started writing this book I saw a documentary on the whole Clinton Lewinsky scandal and it like brought back so many of those memories and and made me realize like wow that was up like she was totally I mean she was a kid and he was like in his 50s or 40s um and but she was treated in the media like you know, she was this like total like monster uh, when in actuality it was like the most relatable thing ever. You get caught up with this older, powerful man who like makes all of these false promises, strings you along and uh, and then like doesn't take on any of the consequences when it all blows up. Um, so I could just like I obviously not on the scale of like <laughs> dating the president of the United States, but <laughs> I could relate to her in the way of like, you get caught up with just a total jerk. Um, and then the bad uh, boy syndrome. exactly. It, it all tied back into that. And um, so when I was writing this, I was like, wanted to give a little like justice for Monica moment, basically. And, you know, and it also she served as a really good example for how to process all of that stuff in a more healthy way, because like Monica, you know, 
should have gone on a crime spree, but she never did. She held it together <laughs> and um, she became like, she rose from the ashes and became like an anti-bullying activist and all of these things. So um, she's, yeah, she's like a huge inspiration generally. So um, I was, I was happy to give her a place in the book. Will you be sending her a copy? Absolutely. What are you writing now? I actually just sent my agent my latest manuscript uh, a couple weeks ago. So I'm in that period of waiting for the reaction. But uh, it's a um, it's a wedding comedy uh, that takes place on the beach. So it's a uh, I kind of pitched it to my agent as a um, Ellen Hildebrand meets Judd Apatow. <laughs> like I love the great combination. Yeah, it's very like beach read. It's uh, it takes it's basically about a um, a thirty something gay guy um, who his two best friends, uh, his two straight best friends are getting married. And he's normally able to kind of, he plays both sides with them a little bit. Like uh, when he's with his uh, female best friend, he kind of, you know, does it up with her and he like does, is more um, flamboyantly gay and, and kind of plays that role. And then when he's with his best guy friend, he kind of butches it up and, you know, is one of the guys because they've been friends since they were kids and, you know, before he was ever out of the closet. Anyway, so when they get married, he he has to, he's the best man, so he has to throw the bachelor party and then uh, a few weeks later has to attend the bachelorette party. Um, and in doing both of those, he kind of gets caught in the middle of their kind of marital drama and secrets that they've kept from each other. And it's just becomes like a huge mess. Um, And so, so yeah, that's kind of the starting point. And uh, you know, there's a lot of drama, a lot of uh, big explosive (laughs) tense moments. Um, I cannot wait to read this book. You have to navigate between both of those spaces, which are usually, you know, there's a strict code of like, you know, you don't, like there's the bro code, you you know, you don't tell wives and girlfriends certain things. Um, and same with, you know, women don't tell their husbands everything. And um, so when this character is just inadvertently, you know, caught on both of those sides and then the other sides are grilling him. And, you know, it's one of those, um, it's a very, I feel like it's a very modern <laughs> issue. You know, it's something that has, you don't really see in traditional wedding comedies because it's uh it's kind of just a new thing, like having a guy at the bachelor party or bachelorette party is um, not a traditional. <laughs> what are you reading now? Um, Goodbye, Lark Lovejoy. Oh my gosh, um, thank you. I, I'm, I'm only like two chapters in, but it was funny because like my TBR is always so high and you know, there's never enough time. But when this one came in, I was like, you know what, let me just bump this up because we're having a conversation and I just immediately got swept in, you know, right from the first chapter. Um, I mean, anything that like starts with a single mom journey, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be interested in. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really loving that so far. Um, what did I recently read? Um, I recently read Fake Accounts by Lauren Euler, um, which was very like, uh, about, it was, it's, it was very much like about what it's like to be extremely online and like, um, 
the brain poisoning that happens when when your job is to kind of like you know be on Twitter and be following all of those things and um, so that was a really a really intense read. Um, I'm really excited for the new uh, Joe Goldberg book by Carolyn Kepnes, uh, You Love Me, because um, that whole series, I don't know if you've read it, but it's... it's I'm putting it on my list right now. I'm writing that down. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's um, The first one was You. It's the, it was what the, the, the series is based on. And um, it's just like so twisted and like um, it's all in the second person and just so creepy, but it's like a serial killer stalker who you weirdly kind of become endeared by and you're like rooting for him just a little. In your view, what is good writing? Um, so writing that keeps you engaged and interested and in looking at the page and like writing that, like this is going to sound so like I'm like a very, you know, vapid <laughs> reader, but like writing that actually doesn't make you have to think too hard. Like writing that you can just read and just enjoy and love. Like to me, that is good writing. How have your relationships with other authors affected your career? Uh, I, I've, I've always had these two critique partners um, where, you know, we swap each other's books and manuscripts and, and give each other notes. And so so they've been instrumental in just, being able to create a, a manuscript that, um, you know, that was able to get me the, the book deal. So, and just for emotional support and all of that. Um, and then once I got the deal, I've, I've noticed that a huge part of rolling out um, and launching a debut is like asking other authors for favors, whether it's blurbs or someone to, you know, join you in an event um, and stuff like that. So. Um, so yeah, I think it's very important. We are each other's best cheerleaders and, you know, as, as great as publishers are, you know, they're, they have their own job. And um, so I think it's when it comes to like really having authors backs, it's, it's definitely important. Best writing <laughs> advice you ever received? Uh, I would say two things. Um, one is to remember to have fun while writing. Um, I think if you're not having fun writing it, then, you know, it's less of a chance that people are going to have fun reading it. Uh, so, and I always have to remind myself of that, like to just don't take it too seriously, especially on like a first draft. Um, and then two is advice that I saw from Anne Rice um, in like some event she did where she said, uh, to aspiring authors. Um, and it's kind of like divisive because some people will say the opposite. But um, she said, if you're, if you get feedback uh, from an editor or an agent while you're either querying them or, or your book is on submission, um, don't incorporate that feedback unless they're actually making an offer to work with you. So like if they're rejecting you um, and, you know, saying like, but, you know, maybe if you change these things, I won't reject you. Um, her advice is to just screw that feedback because any, you know, any editor or agent, even if they have constructive feedback and they want to see X, Y, and Z changed, they're going to make the offer up front and say, let's work together to fix it or to change it. Um, because they see the vision and they, they understand what you're trying to do. So um, that was very good 
advice for me, especially um, because when you're on submission, you know, you will get a lot of editors who are like, why don't you revise and then resubmit and, and all of that. And when I had found my editor at Little Brown, um, you know, he made the offer first and then he gave me the long list of things he wanted me to change, you know? <laughs> then you're, you're in it together. When you mm-hmm. finish a brand new manuscript and you type the end, how do you celebrate? My boyfriend and I, you know, we love to just go, we, especially now that we're here, we have a lot of like cool outdoor bars and stuff. And so, you know, we'll just definitely like when I finished my last one, um, that was a moment to just go out and have a few pints of Guinness and <laughs> cheese fries right. and you know, just overall indulgence. Um, and then sleeping in and just like having a couple days of like no writing guilt, like no, like I should be writing or I should be editing, you know, just kind of basking in the feeling of accomplishment. To learn more, visit nicholasdemisio.com. Writer's Table podcast music by Pavel Yudin and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.